Do you wish you could make more fun vacation memories with your family every year? I'm Lynn Mettler, aka Go-To Travel Gal. Welcome to the Families Fly Free podcast, where I help you learn to travel more by spending less and explain how easy it is for your entire family to fly free. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Families Fly Free podcast, episode number 18. This week, we are going to talk all things national parks because that is one of um, the top places that I hear families say they want to go with their family when they're flying free. And as we head into the spring and summer months, I know many of you are planning national park getaways. And so this week, I'm going to share with you some of my personal top tips for flying to and visiting national parks, because that's definitely one of my family's favorite things to do too. Um, Also, we're going to talk about that this week because inside of my family's Fly Free membership, we're going to be focusing on national parks all throughout March. So we're going to be holding weekly live webinars talking about all different aspects of visiting national parks, and we're going to be answering all the questions that you have in addition to all the other perks that you get as a member, which include video consults with me to create a personal plan for your family to very easily fly and travel free forever, um, as well as access to all of the amazing content that we already have inside of our online Families Fly Free portal and alerts of the top travel information that you need to know. So I hope you'll consider joining this month. If national parks are on your radar, you can go to familiesflyfree.com join to get more information and to sign up. So let's start off with flying to national parks since flying free is my favorite topic. As you probably know, um, I recommend Southwest Airlines as the easiest airline for families who wanna take everyone and fly them all free. They make it the easiest to do. And you can go back and listen to um, one of my past episodes where I explain why the Southwest Airlines is my favorite airline for flying free. That's episode number five. But so I like to look for um, flights that I can take on Southwest to get to the national parks on our list. Now, you'll find with national parks in general, that they are not necessarily near big cities, right? They're usually um, very remote with some very small towns around them, so they can be a little bit more difficult to fly directly to. There are some airlines that will fly to some of the smaller areas around there, but probably you're going to pay a higher price to take that route because it's um, a less traveled route and you're not going to a major city. So what we like to do is we fly southwest, and um, we fly into the nearest major city and then we rent a car and drive and usually it is helpful to have a car in most national parks so you can drive yourself directly to the trailheads and get where you want to go. Now, in some of the busier national parks like Zion, um, they do have shuttles, also Rocky Mountain. Um, So you may want to opt for a shuttle if you feel like parking is going to be an issue, like you might drive to a trailhead and there might not be any parking spots. That doesn't help you. Um, But you can park in the parking lot at the front and then take the shuttle in, and then you don't have to worry about parking. So anyway, that's just a consideration when it comes to renting a car. But even if you have a car, you can still leave it in the parking 
um, of the park or outside the park and take shuttle in if you need to. So for example, in terms of big cities that you can fly into, um, we really love Utah National Parks, and you can also go back and listen to my episode all about Utah, which is episode number six, and why I think it's a great destination for families. But we fly into Las Vegas. Um, typically, that is a pretty inexpensive flight on Southwest, and um, you can then drive from Las Vegas into Utah, and it's actually a great place to um, drive into Arizona. Um, or Nevada as well. You're in Nevada, but um, also to drive into Arizona to some of those national parks. Phoenix is another option also. Um, But depending on where you're going in Utah, it can be um, a couple hours to the national parks to if you're going all the way to the other side of Utah, the eastern side where you have arches and canyonlands, that can be more like a six hour drive. So be prepared that you may have to do some driving, but usually if you're going to a national park, the scenery is gorgeous wherever you're driving. So um, just try to enjoy the opportunity to see scenery that you don't get to see as part of your daily life. So some other examples would be um, if you want to do Yellowstone, for example, Southwest, um, I'm very excited, they just added Bozeman, Montana as a destination, and they hadn't flown to anywhere in Montana before. So that's really exciting, and that's a great place to drive south to Yellowstone um, from Bozeman. It's very, very accessible. So that's exciting, and you can also um, fly into Bozeman and go over to Glacier, and that's going to be a little bit more um longer of a drive four and a half hours or uh, something around there to get up to Glacier which we haven't been to but many people tell us is one of their favorite national parks that's definitely on our list Um, another one for Glacier you can fly into Spokane Um, and that's also I think uh, more than a four-hour drive over to Glacier if you fly into Spokane Washington um, and then and then make the drive over now um, Rocky Mountain is an exception in that you can fly right into Denver and it's just right outside of Denver so that one's very convenient but um, typically you are going to need to make some plans to fly into a major city and then drive so just know that as part of your planning process and then of course you can follow my fly free plan to use um, a Southwest Companion Pass and then um, use points to to book everyone on that flight. Um, And again, if you join Families Fly Free, I will show you exactly how to do that, how to put that process on autopilot so you always have points coming into your account ready to use to fly wherever you want. Um, And we make that process um, very simple um, so that you're always ready to go. And then you can fly free to national parks, which is fantastic. Now, um, another thing I want to mention before you head to national parks, if you're going to do more than a couple in a year, we highly recommend getting the national parks pass. And that is only $80. And it gets you access um, for a year into as many national parks or nationally park man or national um, park system managed sites, um, even some federal lands as well um, with that pass. And so not all parks charge an admission fee but most of them do so a couple of them that don't would be great smoky mountains in tennessee which is the most popular national park in the country Um, i'm sure that helps contribute to the reason that there's no entrance fee and another one that we discovered recently was Capitol Reef in Utah. Um, no admission to go into that, but they did have a scenic drive and you did have to pay if you wanted to do the scenic drive and your National Park Pass works to cover the scenic drive as well. So if you're gonna be doing, um, it, mostly it's about 30 to $35 to get into National Park. So I think you can see if you're gonna do 
um, at least three, there's a savings there. And so um, it's easy to get that online, but you need to allow for some time for that to be shipped to you. Um, or you can get it um, at RCI, and you can, if you have one near you, you can order it online, and then you can just go pick it up um, in the store if you need one more quickly. And that also sh saves you the cost of shipping, which is helpful. Um, all right, so don't forget your National Parks Pass, um, and there's some opportunities to get um, free National Parks Passes if you're a senior citizen, if you are a veteran, if you are active military, so look into that as well if you have a child in fourth grade. Um, lots of opportunities to get a free one. Now let's talk about where to stay, um, and we do have a new digital course inside of Families Fly Free all about how to stay free in hotels and how that works with my simple travel free process. Um, but generally I recommend um, around national parks you're going to find smaller uh, hotels, maybe like Holiday Inn Express or Hampton Inn or Homewood Suites, um, these type of hotels. And these work perfectly fine. You're going to be in the national parks during the day. You're going to be coming back and probably tired from hiking or whatever outdoor activity you've been doing during the day. Um, and you can come back and relax in the room at night. Um, we recommend trying to find one with a free breakfast if you can, because then you don't have to worry about that cost. You don't have to worry about finding breakfast in the mornings and you can really fuel up with something um, good to eat before you go out and expend a lot of energy hiking in the parks. So for example, we have stayed at, um, there's a great Best Western near Bryce Canyon in Utah. That's a great example. They have a free breakfast. It's a really nice property. Um, we've stayed at the Hampton Inn um, and the Holiday Inn Express, both in Kanab. Both of those were very nice properties. Um, both have free breakfast, so that accomplishes that goal. And then one of our favorites that we did um, was in Moab, that's in Utah also, which is a great little town. Um, again, go back and listen to my Utah podcast if you wanna learn more about that, but I um, highly recommend just visiting it in itself. But we stayed at a Homewood Suites right in the downtown area of Moab, and they actually had an option um, to get uh, bunk beds, two sets of bunk beds, and the bunk beds were queen beds. So that was really fun for our family and that would allow you to bring more people to stay in one room and then it has a separate, the way the Homewood Suites are, there's a separate um, bedroom area and then a separate living area and so you can, you have a door to close between the two which is nice and then you have a whole kitchen area as well so you could prepare your own free breakfast if you wanted um, and we also used that to uh, make snacks and prepare lunches if we were going to be in the parks we would make, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or something that um, would last uh, in our backpacks, you know, for a couple of hours out in the sun. Um, and we like to always stop at, uh, if we're hiking, there's always kind of your end point. Um, we always like to stop there and, and enjoy a lunch or some kind of a treat or a snack that we brought with us um, just to kind of relax for a little bit. And it's um, refuel and get some energy back and um, gives you something fun to do kind of at the, uh, when you're at the end point of your hike before you turn around and come back if it's a in and out type of hike. Um, now, and these are pretty much the type of hotels that you're going to find around these, you know, in these small towns around these national parks. Now, like Denver, if you wanted to stay in Denver, of course, you'd have your range of hotels you could choose from. 
Um, but most people choose to stay when they're going to Rocky Mountain National Park in either Estes Park or Grand Lake. Um, and Estes Park, both of those are small towns. Um, Estes Park is going to have more options, but there's also going to be more people. And there's going to be more people going into the park on that side. So that's actually another tip I have for you if you're trying to avoid crowds is to find out which entrance of the park that you're going in fewer people use, which is the less busy entrance. And you can try to stay on that side of the park and go in that way. And that will help you bypass like long lines going into parks sometimes um, and some of the crowds that you might experience otherwise. So Grand Lake, which is on the west side of Rocky Mountain, is a very pretty little town that a lot fewer people utilize um, as a home base when they're going to Rocky Mountain. Um, another good option is a vacation rental when you're um, staying in national parks because that also accomplishes your goal of being able to prepare um, foods in your room or in your rental to save some money. Um, you can, again, make your breakfast there. You can prepare your lunches before you go in. And, and again, that's what we tend to do. And then we just pay for dinner for the most part when we're traveling in national parks. Um, and, and of course it allows you to spread out a little bit, which is nice. Um, and additionally, you'll usually have access to a washer and dryer. I would look for that if you're gonna stay in a hotel too. All of the ones where we have stayed that I mentioned, they do have a laundry because you're probably going to want to wash some of your hiking clothes because you get pretty dirty, particularly in Utah. There's just like red and, you know, sand everywhere. <laughs> so like everything is covered in sand at the end of the day. So it's really nice to just be able to wash that, wash your wool hiking socks or um, whatever it is that you're going to be reusing, you know, a couple of times throughout the week. So, um, and typically you can find vacation rentals around these areas. We stayed in a Vacasa vacation rental in Moab for part of the time, which we really, really enjoyed. It was a little bit further out of town, but it was in a very nice complex. We loved the ability to have a upstairs and a downstairs and be able to spread out and have a full kitchen table and um, separate bedrooms with the kids and us um, and some bigger bathrooms. So that's a really good option as well. Now let's talk about um, when to go to national parks. So I would recommend um, in the more popular ones, steering clear of summertime because that's when everybody goes because that's when teachers and students are out of school um, and everyone's going on their summer vacation. So that's a very, very popular time to go. We try to go, if at all possible, on either spring break or fall break. So um, we've been to Utah two times, for example, and the first time we did it over spring break, so it was like the end of March, early April, and that one we did uh, Bryce Canyon, which be, be forewarned, um, understand the weather where you're going. So that one did have some snow when we got there. It wasn't a whole lot of snow but definitely was chilly and it was snowing when we got there so we had to dress warmly for that one it ended up actually being a really nice temperature for hiking so we didn't get super hot um, and then we did um, the other side of Utah with arches and Canyonlands over fall break um, and that was perfect weather um, it was um, fairly busy in the town of Moab um, and in Utah in particular, it gets very, very hot in the summer. So you really wouldn't want to do it in the summer if you can avoid it anyway, because it gets into like the hundred degree temperatures there. And that would be very difficult when hiking. And I mean, we got hot both on spring break and fall break on a couple of hikes. So I can't imagine what it would be like in the heat uh, peak of summer. 
But these tend to be less busy times to go to some of these parks. If you're going to do the California parks, um, you know, Yosemite and Kings Canyon and um, Sequoia, some of those um, fall can be a great time to do that. Um, Rocky Mountain, again, you need to be very aware of the weather. It definitely snows in um, the mountains of Colorado, sometimes into um, the end of May um, and starts sometimes in September. So that might not be a good choice unless you're trying to go out and do winter weather type things. Um, and if you, you can travel to national parks during the winter and either if you're looking for cold weather parks and it is supposed to be beautiful in Utah and Yellowstone and some of these Yosemite during the winter. Um, and if you wanna go back and listen to my episode with Ash Nudd. She talks about um, some of the best national parks to visit in winter. Um, so check that out. That's a really popular episode um, and really informative. And she tells you some of the cold weather ones and some of the warm weather ones. So if you are looking for to go someplace warm in the winter, you can choose um, some parks like Death Valley. Um, uh, and then there's the one in uh, outside of Tucson, I'm forgetting the name of that one, um, that has the big cactuses. Uh, so there's some different ones like that. There's a um, Big Bend in Texas that are some warm weather options that you can do during the winter months as well um, and try to avoid some of the crowds. Though some of those are more popular during the winter because they're too hot to go to in the summer. So go back and listen to that episode if you want more details about winter travel to national parks. Um, I'd also recommend in terms of days of the week, uh, avoiding Saturdays and Sundays if at all possible. Make that your day off of being in the parks um, because again, even the locals, they're off those days um, and so the parks are just so much more full on the weekends. And when we did our Utah trip over fall break, um, we did all of the parks during the week except we had one left that we wanted to do on a Saturday. And by the time we got there, the line was at least an hour and a half line to even get into the park. Um, and then we figured we like to go in um, kind of in the early afternoon. And so by the time we waited in the line and actually got into the park, and then we assumed that the parking would be terrible based on the line just to get in, that we wouldn't be able to do anything we wanted to do. So we ended up missing that one. That was um, one half of Canyonlands just because it was just so, so busy. Um, and we did find at Arches, um, which is definitely one of my favorites, that is a great national park, so much to see and do there, it is so cool. Um, but there was always a line to get in Arches, no matter the day of the week or time of day, but it was doable, uh, you know, it was less than, you know, 20, 30 minutes tops um, to get into that one. So you just have to have some patience. Um, we didn't ever have any trouble with parking in Arches once we got into it. I think it's just sort of the nature of how it's laid out and the road that you have to turn off of to come in is, is already busy and it's just, there's one main road that goes through Moab that everybody's on. So I think it's sort of just the nature of how it's laid out. But um, be prepared, again, to be patient. Allow for that time that you're going to need to get into the park. And we have found that it works well for our family. We're not super early risers. Um, if you can get up super early, um, you may want to try to get into the parks early, early, early. Um, and watch the sunrise. Um, but a lot of people try to do that. So you could potentially run into crowds that way. 
We have found that if we wait till the people who were there early are kind of done with their hikes and headed home, which is usually around one or two in the afternoon, we'll show up then. And we um, usually do this and never have any trouble at all getting in or with parking or doing the hikes that we want to do um, because a lot of people are leaving at that point. Um, and also a good time that's uh, supposed to be a good time to go is around dinner time or after dinner because everyone's leaving to go home and eat dinner and actually that can be a wonderful time to see the sun set in these parks um, and because they all look different at different times of day so a sunrise view is going to be totally different than a sunset view and so that can be a, a wonderful way to enjoy these parks without the crowds um, and see them in, an, in a new and different way and particularly in arches seeing some of these arches you know based on where the sun is in the sky um, can really be beautiful. So that's my best recommendations about time of year to go, day of week to go, and time of day to go, at least what we have found. Um, another thing you can do to avoid crowds is to see if that park has a backcountry area, and most of them do, and most people don't know about this. So instead of going um, to the main parts with all of the main hiking trails that everybody wants to do, there's usually a backcountry side that has um, little known trails. It's, it's less, um, you know, manicured and paved and signed and everything, but it'll be the same beautiful scenery that you would see elsewhere in the park, but without all the crowds that you might experience on some of the popular trails. So look at the National Park website see if they do have a backcountry, see if you need to get a permit to do that. Usually you don't unless you're going to camp overnight, um, but just see what the options are and if that's something that you might want to do. And I would recommend taking a look at dirtinmyshoes.com. And again, that is Ash Nudd's site. And you can go back and listen to my episode with her about um, national parks that are good to visit in the winter. But she, um, uh, sells itineraries to some of the more popular national parks on what to see and do if you have one day or two days or three days or more. And she will often tell you about some hidden um, hikes or trails that not everyone knows about because she was a park ranger and the park rangers know these. So if you follow some of those, that can be a way to avoid the crowds, um, but still be on a marked hike that just not everyone knows about. Okay, um, just a couple more things I wanted to mention and then we will wrap this one up. But um, in terms of food, um, so we, again, always make sure you have got probably two or three times the water you think you're gonna need. We always find that we need way more water than we think. Um, so make sure you've got plenty, make sure you understand um, if you're going to be filling up your water bottles, make sure the park actually um, has water that you can use a lot of them do so that can help with um, the water bottle problem if you can just fill up a reusable container um, but make sure it's operating and that they actually do have um, filtered water there that you can use um, we always go to the grocery store wherever in whatever town where we're staying near the national park and definitely go ahead and buy things that we can use for snacks things that we can use um, to create lunches, um, simple things like that, and to eat breakfast if we're not staying at a hotel that has a free breakfast so that we don't have to um, worry about the cost of that by going and eating at restaurants. And plus, you want to spend your time in the national parks. You don't want to have to be leaving to go eat at a restaurant. 
you want to just be able to stop and and have a protein bar or a sandwich or you know a cookie or a treat or something we always do like to have a little treat because you're burning a ton of calories anyway and that can make it fun to everyone to stop and have a brownie or have a cookie or something like that um so make sure you have that we if you fly southwest you can bring um two free bags per person so you can also pack a bag of food if you want if you're not going to be renting a car or something um, that can be helpful and um, also I want to make you aware that around these national parks again in these small towns there's not a ton of restaurants sometimes um, in Bryce Canyon when we were there in um, April there was hard there are few restaurants to start with and then they weren't all open because it was not the peak season it was sort of the off season when we were there right at the tail end of it and so we were pretty well limited to subway <laughs> for, for most of our meals and that you get a little tired of that there's a lot of subways in utah for some reason so that's pretty much always an option but so be aware you are going to be limited in your restaurant choices. So you may want to look and see what restaurants are there before you leave. Check and see if they're going to be open. A lot of them, because again, if you're not there in peak season, they close on weird days or they close really, really early. So you might think you're going to be able to go there for dinner only to find out they closed at five when you get done hiking. So be very, very aware of that. Check that ahead of time because we have been stuck a couple times where we almost couldn't find anything to eat for dinner. Like if we were driving into the town late, to, um, you know, as we were just first coming to the town, um, usually you can find like a pizza hut or something, but um, you can be fairly uh, limited in regards to your ability to actually eat at a restaurant. So I just want to make sure you know that and plan for it ahead of time. Now, like Moab, there's tons to, to do, plenty of restaurants, um, but Kanab, on the other hand, not so much. So um, it just depends on the town you are, you're in, and just check it out beforehand is my big big tip there. Um, and then lastly, let's just talk about equipment that you might want to have with you that would be helpful in national parks. So my big one that I just started doing recently is hiking sticks. And um, I had, had not done this before. I don't know why, but I always, my joints always hurt no matter um, what kind of hiking we do. And so I um, also have got myself a, a I decided I needed hiking boots instead of just hiking shoes because that helps my ankles a lot. That helps my ankles to be more stable to have the boot that goes over your ankles and then tie it tightly. Um, so that helps, but the hiking sticks really help, I think, with um, the not putting so much pressure on your joints because you can put more pressure on the hiking sticks as you're walking, particularly as you're going down. Sometimes going down on a hike is one of the hardest parts on your knees in particular. Um, so, and they also help with stability. So particularly in Utah, there are, can be some scary points on a hike where you may have drop-offs on one side or both sides and you're going over very, very rocky areas. So I'm always the most nervous one in my family and I always feel a lot more secure that the hiking sticks help me a lot to be able to position one ahead of me and kind of use that as leverage and help me keep my balance um, as I'm stepping from one place to another because I get nervous when there's drop-offs on both sides that if I take a wrong step, I might be or my kids might be tumbling off. Um, so I really, really like the hiking sticks and you can get those on Amazon. 
I will put a link to um, a blog post we did on National Park Tips that has a link to some hiking sticks that we recommend. But they usually, um, you know, kind of telescope down so that you can easily fit them in your luggage or fit them in your car, wherever you fit them in your backpack, even if you're not going to use them or you're just going to use one. Um, and you can even get a pair um, in each and each person just uses one. Um, so I really only used one most of the time, but um, you can use one or both. So definitely good hiking boots or shoes. You determine which one works better for you. The boots are hotter, um, but they do keep your ankles more stable. And definitely wool socks because you do not want to have socks that in any way are rubbing your foot or moving around or have some sort of weird crease. Um, because if you're hiking for multiple hours and you have that repeated rubbing, um, you know, in a particular place, you're going to end up with blisters and you don't want to ruin your national park experience by getting blisters on the first day of your hike. So we really like wool socks. They absorb moisture, they stay in place, and they're supposed to be, um, you know, cool or hot based on where you are and what you need. Um, so we all have pairs of those and we, um, you know, wash them as needed. Each, you know, we have a couple pairs and then wash and reuse. Um, make sure you go to the bathroom before you hike. That's not really equipment, but always go to the bathroom before you get on the trail. Um, and most of them do have kind of porta potty um, scenarios. So definitely you want to make sure you have hand sanitizer and toilet paper or Kleenex that you can use in case they're out in the porta potties. Um, I like to have that. And then I always recommend a hat uh, because that's always great to just protect your head, um, particularly from ticks or any kind of bugs and then from the sun as well can be very very um, helpful so those are my top national park tips and we're going to be sharing more of this good information from me from experts from members of my team we're going to be sharing um, our favorite national parks we're going to get into some itineraries um, and uh, give you a tips not just from me but from others who go to national parks regularly and answer all the questions you have about where to stay how to fly um, all of those things so uh, if you want more information if national parks are on your radar this year please join us as a member of families fly free and you can do that at familiesflyfree.com join um, and otherwise i will see you on the next episode and again i would always appreciate it if you liked this podcast if you would subscribe rate it and review it that helps me spread the word and reach more people thanks so much for listening and i will see you on the next episode ready to fly your family free come join me inside my family's fly free program where you get my simple step-by-step -step plan and my personal help so you can make more priceless travel memories with your family before your kids leave home visit familiesflyfree.com join that's familiesflyfree.com join to learn more and get started flying free today.